0: Good afternoon. Thank you so much for your kind invitation. I first of all greet you in the name of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ, uh, from TWR Transfer Radio. You know, when I was a kid, I grew up in an area called Merpati Road, which I know uh, rings a bell to your Grace Baptist Church family. I was thinking through, and I recall in those days, each time when I want to get out to town, to take a bus, I have to go through Mata Road, and you know how it works go through the big circle in Circuit Road to Pipit Road back into Circuit Road, then to Matha Road where you are, and then out into our Road. And um, I recall after I became a Christian many times as I passed through, I wonder what goes on inside that building. So I'm really thankful to the Lord for this opportunity this afternoon to be able to be with you, Greece Baptist Church family, do not fiscally in Mata Road, but with your family. And I do pray that when your building do go up and uh, when you occupy it, that you continue to be a beacon of light, both in the McPherson area and beyond. Give me a quick moment to say something about the video clip that you have uh, just seen earlier on. Uh, All that we do, we put everything together into this thing we call a media player. So, all the translations, uh, all the work that's, that is being done, we put it in 60 stories uh, in, at the moment in Mandarin, in Cantonese, and in Hakka. And we do this not for sale. We do this to give it to people who need the gospel, the unreached people groups in China. So this is not for sale. We do it to give it to them. In fact, I'm so excited. Just uh, a few days ago on Friday, I received word that, that we can go ahead to push out the next batch. So on Monday... Uh, tomorrow, I'll be calling our vendor to giving him another 12 addresses to our distributors to send out yet another 1,000 of such pieces to unrich people groups. But people have been asking us, hey, this is so useful. Uh, especially now, with, uh, now in our player we have uh, Mandarin, uh, Hakka and Cantonese. And they ask, can we have it here? We say, uh, we, we are sorry, uh, our target really is China. But they say it's so useful. And so here we all talk about it. And we decided finally, no, we are not going to sell it but uh, we are willing to let people have it if they want to at a uh, small little donation, um, you know, to be able to give to your relatives, your friends or people when you visit. I recall that about four months ago, one of my church members wanted one of these because he was doing hospital visit. I said, sure. I gave him one and he gave me $100. And I said to him, no, no, this is not for sale. It's only for a small donation of $50. So if you are interested, you want to use it as a form of evangelism, for your Mandarin-speaking family members, Hakka-speaking Cantonese, you can go down later in the booth below and you can take a look at this. Thank you very much. I want to say at this outset, to make this statement, which I will find myself repeating over and over again this afternoon, which you have it in your bulletin, and that is, Our hearts, our hearts matter to God. Let me say it again. Our hearts matter to God. I want to suggest to you this afternoon that this statement pretty much sums up the book of Jonah, which I propose to base my sermon on this afternoon's topic, Reaching the Unreached Peoples. Please, if you will, join me in a word of prayer. Lord, we want to give thanks for this beautiful afternoon Thank you so much, Lord, for the gospel. Thank you, Lord, for the work that's being done among the Salwan people. How we praise you, Lord, for calling your people there. And we want to pray, Lord, that your gospel will continue to be preached to the ends of the earth. Lord, for ourselves here this afternoon, we pray you speak to us. We are not here by chance. We ask, Lord, that you minister to us. Use your servant, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. I know that the book of Jonah is familiar to all of us, a good number of us, we learn it, we hear about it uh, during Sunday school, and I know that some of you, several of you perhaps, you taught it in different settings, um, a, a very uh, normal, common story. You know, I reread this story several times in a run-up to putting this sermon together, and I came to this conclusion, you know, that this statement, uh, this, this whole book of Jonah can very much be summed up, encapsulated in this one statement: that our hearts matter to God. My first point for us this afternoon is this: you know, this could have been, this could have been a heartwarming, successful story on missions. Chapter one surfaces for us a pathetic missionary, whose unbecoming actions raises eyebrows. I mean, what kind? What kind of a missionary was this who, upon receiving a call from God to go to Nineveh, went instead to Tarshish? That's how pathetic a missionary he was. I mean, quite obviously, he heard a clear call from God, but he chose to go the other way. A pathetic Missionary. But along the way, God did not let him go. We know the story very well. He was eventually thrown overboard and then he ended up in the belly of a fish three days and three nights. And resulting from this, we can say that he became a praying missionary. How he prayed, what he prayed about is recorded in chapter 2. And uh, I will have more to say about that prayer later. So from a pathetic missionary, Jonah went on to become a praying missionary. Missionary. Now, moving into chapter 3, we have yet another portrait of Jonah. This time we can call him a preaching missionary. What we have on record is of him fulfilling his call to be a missionary in Nineveh, proclaiming the message that he was appointed to do. And resulting from his preaching, we read that the whole city. From the greatest of them to the least of them, they repented in sackcloth. So chapter 3 ends with what we might call a highly successful missionary outreach. That last verse in chapter 3 reads, I'm reading from the English Standard Version, chapter 3, verse 10. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that He has said He would do to them And he did not do it. So from a prophetic missionary to a praying missionary to a preaching missionary resulting in great repentance. I mean, what greater success story in missions do we want? If there's any missionary organization, the Baptist Missionary Society, TWR, you know, if we have such a missionary, wouldn't we feel proud? Wouldn't we feel Honored, wouldn't we feel exhilarated to see the transformation of an entire city turning to God? And I guess that that will be one big news that will hog the headlines of our missionary newsletter. Great, great success. But very sadly, you and I, we know the story of Jonah too well. It of course did not end in chapter 3. As chapter 4 rolls in, and if you were to put it on a graph, you can actually describe Jonah, you know, as moving on, first of all, from being a prophetic missionary, moving upwards to becoming a praying missionary, and then scaling the heights of being a preaching missionary, resulting in great repentance. Wonderful. But chapter 4 changes the whole direction, as it will plunges down again, as this time we see Jonah, a pouting missionary. So this is my first point. This could have been. It could have been a heartwarming, successful story on mission, sadly. It could have been because I say it again, our hearts our hearts matter to God. The heart of the entire story revolves around the compassionate hearts of God on the one hand and the cold, callous, uncaring hearts of Jonah. Secondly, Jonah, he could have himself be hailed as a missionary par excellence, the best of the kind, a missionary par excellence. In the first place, he seems to have a high view of God. I mean, theoretically, at least, back in chapter 1. You remember that the sailors asked Jonah a whole barrage of questions, wishing to know his background. Look at verse 8, chapter 1, verse 8. Then they said to him, tell us on whose accounts this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation and where do you come from? What is your country and of what people are you? Jonah's reply, sort of simply gloss over all those several questions pertaining to himself, mentioning a cursory, note that he was a Hebrew, but went on to focus his reply as to who is his God whom he feared. Jonah's reply in verse 9 is this, I'm a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. So very boldly, As it were, Jonah declares of his God as the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Now in Jonah's prayer, recorded in chapter 2, it similarly surfaces his somewhat high view of God. In verse 1, he talks about calling upon the Lord in distress. And what happened? And God answered him. He went on to declare that he cried to the Lord, and God heard his voice. High view of God. In verse 9, he declares amazingly, salvation belongs to the Lord. Over in chapter 4, Jonah gave this description of God. Look at verse 2, chapter 4, verse 2. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. So firstly, even though Jonah, he ran away from God's call the first time, he had a theoretical high view of God. Secondly, Jonah, he could also have been hailed as a missionary par excellence because he prayed beautiful prayers. I know that some of us, you know, after becoming Christians for years, we still fight shy of making public prayers. We may know that God is not looking for long, flowery prayers, but somehow we feel awkward praying public prayers. You know, I look at Jonah's prayer and I say to myself, how beautiful. Several people call it a psalm of Jonah. Think, for example, of some of the phrases he used. Verse 2, he said, out of the belly of shore I cried. Verse 3, you cast me into the deep, into the hearts of the seas. The flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Verse 5, the waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Reeds were wrapped about my head at the roots of the mountain. So if you Think, think of all those analogies. It sounds to me almost poetic. I mean, the figure of speech employed was most admirable. Without knowing his story, if we were to read only his prayer, I think you may be so impressed and your heart go out to him, seeing him as someone going through a deep crisis, looking to his God whom he knew, asking him for help in time of need. Thirdly, Jonah, I say to you, could have been healed as a credible missionary par excellence because he knows his scriptures. One commentator went so far as to describe him as a close student of scripture. Now, I want you to listen to this passage without looking into your Bible. The cause of death encompassed me the torrents of destruction assailed me. The course of Sheol entangled me. The snares of death confronted me. In my distress, I called upon the Lord. To my God, I cried for help from His temple, He heard my voice, and my cry to Him reached His ears. Does this sound familiar? Does this sound as if it comes from Jonah? No, I did not read from Jonah. What I read was a quotation from Psalm. The 18th Psalm Verses 4, 5, and 6. Jonah knew his Bible. When Jonah uttered in verse 9, Salvation is of the Lord. It is a quotation from the third Psalm and verse 8. In fact, some suggested that Jonah either quoted or alluded to passages in Psalms no less than eight times. Probably. I think a good number of us will lose to him hands down in terms of knowing the scriptures. Remember, he had no time, nor way to Google search for his scriptures. Down there, definitely no Wi-Fi. He knows his scripture, and this is impressive. Some of us have heard people telling us, hey, pray the scriptures. This means using scriptures to form the basis of our prayer. This, if you will, is one great example of praying the Scriptures. I have a fourth point for you. Jonah could have been hailed as a credible missionary par excellence because he was involved in the mission field right where the action was. Yes, he may have ran away the first time that the Lord called him, but ultimately he did get involved. He walked the length and the breadth of the city. He proclaimed the message of the Lord. You know, we get excited when we read of an entire village coming to faith in Jesus. Jonah's exploits turned an entire city from the greatest to the least in repentance. So, Jonah, he seemed to have a theoretical high view of God. He was someone. Who knows his scripture, He knows how to pray, and of course he was involved in missions. But I tell with all this, you can describe him as a failure as well. Why? Because I said again, our hearts matter to God, and Jonah's heart was wrong. You see, up to this point, we not two could have been. If not for chapter 4, this could have been a heartwarming, successful story on missions. And Jonah himself could have been hailed as a missionary par excellence, the best of the kind. So we ask then, well, what happened in chapter 4? Well, what happened in chapter 4 surfaces at least three key lessons that Jonah must learn lessons, which I believe you and I, living in our day and age, will do well to consider, especially when we are considering our topic at hand, reaching and rich people groups. I offer to you the first lesson: outward conformity. Outward conformity must be influenced by inward transformation. Yes. Jonah did finally fulfill his calling. And of course, the result was spectacular. But he failed the, as it has. When the searchlight of God's hearts of compassion revealed that there's a lot more than meets the eye. Five times in that short 11 verses in chapter 4, we read the word angry. Chapter 4 verse 1 begins the statement, but it displeased. Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. So we ask then, what was the basis for Jonah's anger? Well, they came right at the heels of the last verse of chapter 3. We read that early on in verse 10. We can read that again. When God saw what they did, how they turned from the evil way, God relented of the disaster that He had said He would do to them, and He did not do it. Now, right from the horse's mouth, Jonah goes on to say in verse 2, unashamedly, telling us why he was angry. Look at verse 2. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in your country, uh, in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. If you ask me, this is alarming, alarming, to say the least. Because since day one, the reason why Jonah left for Tarshish instead of Nineveh was his knowledge of God being gracious. He knew that his God is merciful. His knowledge of God was that he was someone who was slow to anger. He was abounding in steadfast love. In short, Jonah went there preaching in the hope that they would not repent. But they repented. And through the God's nature, they were spared. And Jonah became angry because of this. I want to very quickly surface three reasons, three possible reasons why Jonah was angry. Firstly, Nineveh was the capital of Assyria, which was Israel's arch-enemy. And so to have them destroyed would have been victory for his people, the Israelites. Secondly, the Assyrians, okay, Ninevites, they were infamously known for their atrocities. They were deserving to be destroyed And if a firm were to be made featuring their acts of cruelty, it would have earned them their violence, would have earned them a PG rating. Thirdly, for God not to carry out what he said he would do, the message that Jonah preached, that Nineveh would be destroyed, would have made his threat more like a toothless tiger or a barking dog that never bites. But I tell you, despite all this, Jonah should have known better than to react this way. You see, the problem is that while in theory, in theory he knew the compassionate heart of God, such a knowledge did not stir his heart. What he did, going around Nineveh preaching, was outward conformity to a call, but not influenced by inward transformation of the heart. If only Jonah had felt the heartbeat of God. Yes, they may be contemptuous, but God has a soft spot for them. Despite all, God sees them as pitiable. In the person of Jesus, God looked upon people with compassion as sheep without a shepherd. Jonah may have all the reasons arising from his prejudices that those people were not deserving of forgiveness. But you and I, we know that God sees it differently. Peter says that God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to the knowledge of the truth. Even right to the point when Jesus of the Lord was hung on the cross, all he could utter was, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they did. So on the one hand, the compassionate Heart of God. On the other, the uncaring, unconcerned, heartless attitude of Jonah. His heart was far from being transformed. He knew what the scriptures say, but those were only hate knowledge. No wonder people tell us. It is not, it is not how many times you have gone through the Bible. It is how many times the Bible has gone through you. No wonder the Bible warns Second Timothy 3.5 about the danger of having the appearance of godliness and yet denying its power. I think it simply means that the outward form of going through the motion that is connected with so-called godly practices like Jonah, knowing in theory who God is, an ability to pray beautiful prayers, having scriptures committed to memory, and even being involved right where the action is in the mission field, his heart was not transformed. Which is why being involved in missions is a lot more than putting money into the offering box, much as adequate funding is needed for missions. Outward conformity must be influenced by inward transformation. Transformation. I offer to you a second lesson. Self-serving hearts. Self-serving hearts must be inspired by the all-embracing heart of God. We earlier on talked about Jonah getting angry with God. Well, chapter 4 actually tells us that he actually got angry with God a plant as well, or because of a plant. After realizing God, having relented from destroying the Ninevites, the Bible records that Jonah went on to make a booth for himself, and he sat there pouting. And then lo and behold, God appointed a plant which became a shade for him, shading him from the sun. And he was so glad, so pleased about it, that the Bible tells us from beginning Being exceedingly angry, he became exceedingly glad. But that was short-lived because at dawn, the next day, God this time appointed a worm to attack the plant which then withered. On top of this, God appointed a strong east wind which blew the scorching sun on him, causing him great discomfort. He felt so lousy, he said, it is better for me to die than to live." Let me read verse 9. But God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. Jonah seems to be totally out of sync with what was going on in the heart of God. On the one hand, we have God opening his all-embracing heart of compassion to anyone who repents. We have, on the other hand, Jonah, who all he cares for was his own earthly comforts. It was C.T. Studd, that great missionary to India, to China, to Africa, who said, "Someone to live within the sound of church or chapel bell. I want to run a rescue shop within a yard of hell. We thank God for our modern amenities here in Singapore. But I tell you, we must be very careful not to allow all these modern comforts to lull us into being unmoved by needs around us. When you look at those pictures in, among the Salawan people, these are not just images. They are people who need the Lord. I can't remember who said it. But with a careful play on words, one man looking at the apathy of churches, making the Great Commission look more like the Great Omission. He describes Christians as God's frozen people. Not chosen, God's frozen people. Jonah's thought processes seem so far removed from that of the heart of God. The question for us, brothers and sisters, is do we today, like Jonah, Possess self serving hearts, or are we inspired by the all embracing heart of God who, in the person of Jesus, saw the multitudes and felt compassion for them? For all the blessings that we are so grateful to enjoy living in a city state here in Singapore, blessed in so many ways, we must be involved in missions with our self-serving hearts inspired by the all-embracing heart of God. Lesson three, theoretical knowledge. Theoretical knowledge must issue in practical action. Recorded in the last two verses, the central issue that led to Jonah's downfall, when it could have been a successful missionary story, and that Jonah could have been hailed as a missionary par excellence, was the Lord, as it were, looking him in the eye, and asking him, the last two verses, 10 and 11, You pity the plant, for which you did not labour, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in the night, and perished in the night, and should not I pity Nineveh? that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left and also much cattle. We want to consider as to who are those 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left. I think there are two answers that most people tell us. Some say they are children. Other people tell us they make up uh, the entire population who do not know their right from their left in terms of them not knowing the difference between what is right and what is wrong. Now, as a start, I understand, Now, I do not know Hebrew, but I came to understand that the Hebrew word used to translate people, in our know, English Bibles is used to translate people in general. Because apparently there's another Hebrew word uh, that's used for children that is not in use here. Now, it seems probable for me that 120,000 refers, therefore, not just to children, but to the entire population of Nineveh at the time. With God directing his compassion to one and all without exception. Given the mystery nature of this book, I would imagine that the emphasis made is in reference to the spiritual needs of the entire nation who cannot differentiate what is right from what is wrong. I think we do not need to be too hung up on these points because ultimately the point is that of God's compassion towards the multitude, whether children, adults, or both. I want to close with this. You know, when I was much younger, growing up as a Christian, I had an inquisitive mind, like many of you, and I ask questions relating to the Christian faith. And one of those questions I had was this. I'm sure some of you, you ask the same question. Will those who have not had a chance to listen to the gospel be saved? And so we ask, well, how about those living in the jungles? No one bring the gospel to them. They are forgotten. Will they be saved? So some of you, I believe, you have asked those questions. I think the question is valid. By a think... I do think that Charles Spurgeon asked a most soul-searching question when he said, to me, it is more a question whether we who have the gospel and fail to give to those who have not can receive. Let me repeat that. It is more a question with me whether we who have the gospel and fail to give to those who have not, will be saved. In Martin Luther King Jr.'s 1963 famous I Have a Dream speech, referring to racial injustice, 100 years after America has signed the Emancipation Proclamation or the Proclamation of Freedom, Martin Luther King He said this, But 100 years later, the Negro still is not free. 100 years later, the life of the Negro is still sadly crippled by the manacles or by the chains of segregation and the chains of discrimination. 100 years later, the Negro lives on a lonely island of poverty in the midst of a vast ocean of material prosperity. And so, no freedom after 100 years of signing the Emancipation Proclamation. Today, we ask ourselves, 2,000 years, 2,000 years after Jesus came to proclaim liberty to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. What is Seen today. In an article from Luzon Movement, whose tagline is the whole gospel, by the whole church, to the whole world, it wrote, the heart of God longs that all people should have access to the knowledge of God's love and His saving work through Jesus Christ. We recognize with grief and shame that there are thousands of people, people groups around the world for whom such access has not yet been made available through Christian witness. And he went on to say these sobering words, their presence among us in our world. Two thousand years after Jesus commanded us to make disciples of all nations, constitutes not only a rebuke to our disobedience, Not only a form of spiritual injustice, but also a silent Macedonian call. Missions involvement calls for a calculated resolve in our hearts. So we ask ourselves today, what is God saying to our hearts this afternoon? Beloved, our hearts matter to God. Please, will you join me in prayer? Lord, again, we recognize that Scripture is written for our learning. Being reminded again, Lord, that we are not just to be hearers of the Word, but doers as well. Cause us, Lord, to know what it is, to have the courage to respond in the way we should, that all glory be given to Jesus, our Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you.